We look once again in the second epistle of Peter, second Peter chapter one, beginning reading with verse 12, read through verse 21. Our focus will be 16 through 18 with a clear recognition of 19 and 20 as well, but 16 through 18 is our focus. People of God, hear the good news of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were eyewitnesses of His majesty, for He received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Well, people of God, uh, this passage of Scripture would have most of its attention focused on verse uh, 20 and 21, one of the clearest passages in Scripture describing for us the very nature of Scripture. But verse 19 and 20 begin with this, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. We have the prophetic word. The word that God gave to Moses and Elijah. The word that God gave to Paul and Peter. That prophetic word is confirmed by what event in the life of of Jesus Christ. It's an event that we do not often reflect on. In the Apostles' Creed, we have that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. His suffering under Pontius Pilate is, is certainly historically significant. It ought to be taken note of. But the historical event of the Transfiguration is of no less significance 
But it doesn't appear in the catechism. And so it's not a part of catechism. It does appear in the Gospels. And it does appear here in Second Peter. And so today we may reflect on the forgotten, in some ways, the forgotten historical event. Unique in the life of Jesus. Unique in His earthly pilgrimage as no other event in His life. Because you see, that life, His walk on this earth, was just like yours and mine. And though, which I think is improper in the first place, Depictions of Jesus Christ as a baby in the Middle Ages, they would have an oversized baby in the picture to show his human, his physical significance. Or they would have a halo around his head. But Jesus looked just like every other baby. And as he was walking down the road, he looked just like you and me. If he was sitting here today, you would not pick him out in a crowd and go, oh, there's God in the flesh. Would not do it. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, the divine nature and God's divine approval were manifested in such a way that it is that event that Paul says is the event that confirms the prophetic word. Wasn't the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. It was the miracle and the manifestation of the glory of Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. So, that declaration about the central significance of the Word of God in Second Peter is tied to the Mount of Transfiguration. However, it anticipates the second coming. And I submit to you as we begin looking at that Mount of Transfiguration that the first point is that it anticipates the second coming to the point where the second coming is mentioned as a revelation. Verse 16, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stop there. You read that verse anywhere apart from the Mount of Transfiguration, which we see right here, and you would absolutely be convinced that that's talking about the second coming, not the first. And so it is. The Mount of Transfiguration is introduced by a declaration that we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So, we have declared to you about the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty already in the Mount of Transfiguration. 
myths and fables, Greek mythology, Greek views about their gods, myths, current myths, whether it's Mormonism or Hinduism or Islam or all other false religions, false documents declaring to be somehow divinely inspired. All of those are myths. But God Himself, and in verses 19 and 20, uh, we see, uh, and 21, God Himself is the one who reveals truth, that is, truth about interpreting the events of the past, and truth about the coming events of the future, and interpreting those events as well. And so... The declaration that Jesus is going to come again is not a myth. It is an absolute truth. It has been made known to us through divine revelation. It is that which Peter is committed to repeating over and over again. There are things that have been revealed to Peter that he then communicates. There are other things that Peter saw and then he communicates based on both God's working through the Holy Spirit to tell him what it is that he needs to put down concerning what he saw and its significance. And so there are different kinds of ways in which truth is revealed in the Word. One is through personal testimony and the inner testimony of the Spirit. And one is simply through divine making known to us what the future is going to be, namely the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase, power and coming, is the phrase that is used throughout the New Testament concerning the second coming, not the first coming. In 2 Peter chapter 3, which Lord willing we will look at next week, uh, verse 4, it says, Where is the promise of His coming? So when you're talking about the coming of Christ, you're talking about that which is future. 2 Peter 3, verse 12, Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. So there is a theme of the second coming in the book of 2 Peter. In Daniel chapter 7, it mentions that uh, uh, concerning the Son of Man and the coming of the Son of Man, it's actually the second coming that is focused on, even though the second coming gives the name Son of Man to Jesus in this context. It begins this way in verses 13 and 14 of Daniel It is, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And Mark 13, uh, verse uh, 26, Mark chapter 13, verse 26 will reflect on that coming with the clouds and declare it this way. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And that is in the days after the tribulation and the sun darkened and and that's after the final days 
And that's after all things are accomplished in terms of this age between the first and second coming, then Christ comes on the clouds in power and glory. And we talk about His first coming as being one of humiliation. He came in humility. He came as a servant. He didn't come in power and glory. But He will come. Revelation 1.7 He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him. Even so, Amen. They will mourn because they didn't know Him. They rejected Him. And so He is coming. And so, the final prayer of Scripture, even so, come quickly, that second coming. And there is this recognition of the second coming, but it's really the introduction to, but we saw His majesty already on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, beginning with verse 1. The Mount of Transfiguration. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here if you wish. Let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. Hear Him. We saw His majestic glory, which is the foundation, which is the prophetic Word confirmed. Hear Him. Listen. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and they were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. And now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And now Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us about this Mount of Transfiguration, this event, as did the Gospel writers. It is something that they have both seen and heard. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. We were eyewitnesses of the majesty of Jesus Christ Himself. We we saw it. We heard it. This great historical truth where it's described in the context of the the brilliance of the sun shining forth from the body of Jesus Christ, the face of Jesus Christ, the body, basically his clothes turned white. It would be as if the sun was sitting, was right here and shining in our midst. How could you even look at it? You'd have to cover your eyes. 
Jesus Christ, His majesty is now shining forth in the only moment, the only hour in human history, in the time that Jesus was on earth, where His divinity was literally shining through His humanity. It is the transfiguration. And so we believe in the birth, the life, the transfiguration, the death, the resurrection, the ascension. Even in His resurrected body, the divinity of Jesus Christ is not shining through. Why is that? Because His body, His resurrected body, is like our resurrected body. When you saw the resurrected body, you saw a human resurrected body. Not a divine resurrected body. His human resurrected body. But at this moment, you saw divinity shining through the humanity of the physical body of Jesus Christ. No other hour on the face of the earth did Jesus' divinity shine through like that. This was the only time. This is the gift of encouragement. This is the gift that was manifested also to Moses and Elijah. And I wonder, do you see all of the imagery even in the Mount of Transfiguration? We're not doing a sermon on Matthew, but did you hear that? There is the the, the shining brightness of, of Jesus. It, it, it's the brightness. They say, what, what does transfiguration mean? Well, it tells you what it means. It means that Jesus, the body of Jesus, shone like the sun. How else can we describe it? No other way. It's just, that's transfigured. His body is transfigured. But remember Moses, the man of God the mediator between God and the people of Israel. Moses on Mount Sinai. Moses who has a love for God, a respect for God, a godly fear of God, who desires God. And he says, can I see your face? And God says, no. And no one can see my face and live. And then he says, but go in the cleft of the rock. I'll pass by and you'll see my back. And Moses goes in the cleft and, and he, he, he gets a glimpse of the glory of God. And his face shines, but it's, it's, it's a shining that's going to pass away. It's reflecting the glory of God, but for a moment. Moses' prayer to see the face of God was answered far more significantly at the Mount of Transfiguration than on Mount Sinai. Because he saw the incarnate Son and the glory of God shining like the sun from His face. It's no accident I believe, and we we know it's not an accident that Moses was one of the two 
that were on the Mount of Transfiguration. And now he sees the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, just like every single believer can see that glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ by faith in the truth of the Word. And we will see Him coming someday in glory at His second coming. But we will also see Him and see His face for the Word of God declares that that Christ revealed is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. We see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as we see His face in the prophetic Word. Made more sure by His, His manifestation of glory at the Mount of Transfiguration. But we are directed and that testimony is directed towards seeing the face of Jesus Christ in the Word of God. So though we do not see Him face to face, physically, we see the, and we come to understand the significance of this in ways that Peter didn't at that very moment that he was beholding it. Because he couldn't even tell anybody about it until after the ascension and the resurrection. But it's the revelation of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The greatest miracle working prophet of the Old Testament is nothing compared to Jesus in all of His miracles, but this transfiguration was the unique event. It was the greatest manifestation of the divine glory of Jesus in His life on earth. His power to raise people from the dead, Old Testament prophets did that. New Testament apostles did that. But no other human in all of history could have been transfigured because they were not divine. Only Jesus could be transfigured. Only He could manifest His own majesty. And in addition, God Himself, then in all of the majesty and glory that Jesus Christ is manifesting, then God Himself manifests the glory upon glory, as it were. Because, first of all, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty, verse 16, and then He received from God the Father honor and glory when a voice came to Him from the excellent glory, this is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And you have the word glory repeated over and over again. The word glory which reminds us of light and shining and and the manifesting, the revealing of God's very nature, glory. He is a God of glory. And God now glorifies His Son who is glory Himself. So glory is manifesting, is, is 
is displaying glory to that one who is already glorious as the sun. And then it says, and it's a cloud that comes, a bright shining cloud. We don't very often think of clouds as being bright and shiny. Once in a while you see the sun and clouds interacting in a way and you look and say, well, that cloud is shining. And now you have the face of Jesus shining like the sun. And now you have a cloud that shines on the shining sun. Well, there's some things that just are hard to put together when you're trying to make this kind of historical reality picture in your mind. But it's a totally unique situation. But God Himself is now demonstrating glory to the Son. Manifesting. And He received glory from God the Father. He is glorified by the Father. And He glorifies the Father. And the Father declares, this is My beloved Son. This is My beloved Son. This is the only begotten Son. This is My Son from all of eternity. True God. Second person of the Trinity. With whom there has been an eternal relationship of oneness in the Godhead and perfect unity in the personhood. This is My beloved Son. The Son loves the Father and the Father loves the Son. And the Father says, in whom I am well pleased. The Father is manifesting to the Son. This beloved Son. The declaration of God in this context is only ever used between God the Father and God the Son. Beloved Son. Only used between the Father and the Son. That God declares, I love my children. But this phrase, beloved Son, appears nine times in the New Testament. Matthew 3.17, This is my beloved Son. And it was a voice from heaven at His baptism. And then the references to the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son. The owner, uh, the uh, Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved son. And then in 2 Peter 1.17. So there's, it's, this is the only, this phrase is only used between the Father and the Son. And Jesus receives this gift of glory. The gifts that God gives on the Mount of Transfiguration is this declaration of, I am well pleased with you. You are my beloved Son. Glory and honor is manifested. That God is declaring here, at the very beginning, God declared it of, of Christ's ministry at His baptism. And now at the very, uh, almost the end of His ministry, the declaration is being made, Jesus Christ has fulfilled all righteousness and God has declared, I am well pleased with all that you have done. 
This is the historical reality of what we as believers declare when we talk about the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is the perfect righteousness being declared in a historical event. Whereby we as God's people can be declared righteous because of Christ's righteousness. This is the foundational reason why God can transfer the righteousness of Christ to us and so that God can look at us and say, I am well pleased with you. In the terms of justification, He looks at us, as I mentioned last week, as we have, as if we had never sinned nor been a sinner. And here is a declaration concerning God's absolute judgment concerning Christ's righteousness. I am well pleased with you. Therefore, therefore, we as God's people can be confident of that word from God that God gives to us. And so we have the prophetic word. Here is that gift. We have from the Mount of Transfiguration, we have this gift given to us that we have an absolutely certain Bible. And we'll see the contrast in chapter 2 between the certainty of the revelation of God's Word to the uncertainty of the false teachers that surround us. We have this prophetic Word, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. And he's just talked about the light shining from the face of Jesus Christ. And he says, you ought to see this Bible in the same way that we saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. You ought to see the Word of God as a sun, shining in as the sun, shining in your life, giving you light in a dark place, because this world is a dark place, and you need light. And here is the sun. Here is the light. As a light that shines in a dark place. And it shines to give us the truth concerning Jesus and God's redemptive work, and the covenant of grace, and the promises of God, which you do well to heed, to heed. And so we have it. And we are to, uh, to stand fast in it. The prophetic word confirmed, the word confirmed here is, uh, the, conf- the prophetic word stabilized. The prophetic word given its foundation. The prophetic word that is absolutely certain, valid, not one invalid thing about it. All of that is in this, this phrase. Uh, we have the prophetic word confirmed. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Talks about something even future to what we presently have. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. This is the 
the interpretation and application of the historical event of the Mount of Transfiguration is look at the Bible as the sun for your life. That's the application. That interpretation of that historical event is not Peter's own made-up uh, uh, conclusion. Peter didn't look at it. I was in the army for three years. I went to Montana State University, and while I was for a for a uh, for a year, and when I was at Montana State, I took all kinds of uh, courses on religion. I'm not sure why I did that. Uh, I figured I had a philosophy in hedonism by being a, observing things in the military uh, and the, the hedonistic lifestyle. And so I thought, well, I might as well be introduced to the, to the, uh, the elite and the philosophy of, the, of the, uh, the world concerning the Scripture. And I, and I definitely got it. It was, it was bad. There was false teachers all over the place. I remember the one false teacher uh, uh, declaring this, uh, that... Um, every, so he said, he said, this, the Bible is like this. He says, you know, there's some, it's like looking at a sunrise and then we're all inspired to say the same. We're all inspired to say something because of the sunrise and our interpretation of the sunrise. We may all have a different interpretation of the sunrise, but they're all as valid as the next interpretation. The Word of God says, no, there's a proper interpretation of the Mount of Transfiguration. And the interpretation and the application of the Mount of Transfiguration is to be driven to the Word of God as sure and, and reliable. It is not to make something up in your own head. And this interpretation I'm given, and the interpretation and the revelation of all of Scripture, is not a matter of one's own private interpretation. We'll reference false teachers who promote such a thing this evening. For prophecy never came by the will of man. And what Peter is writing to us about the Mount of Transfiguration and about Scripture itself. It didn't come to Peter by the will of man. Somebody didn't, a man didn't tell him what to write here. He didn't tell himself what to write. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Holy apostles. Holy prophets as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, it talks about how we, the, the Word of God is breathed, and, and it's really breathed out. And so that God gives the breath to a person, and, as that, and then God breathes it out. And just like breath is necessary in order for us to talk, you feel the breath in front of you. You children, if you hold up your hands and you talk, you'll feel the breath coming out of your mouth. And so it is the Holy Spirit worked within men of God who wrote this book. And what came out was the Holy Spirit's breathing. It was the Spirit's breath. It's the exhaling 
of the Word of God now inscripturated. The prophecy of Scripture, that which is written down. And so, people of God, we, we move uh, from the second coming to the Mount of Transfiguration and what uh, happened in the past to what God gives us in the present. His Holy Word. And they're all connected. They're all of one. And so we do well to pay attention until the day truly dawns when Christ returns. And then we will truly see Him face to face as we have, as Peter saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Revelation chapter 19 describes for us that glorious day. Revelation 19 beginning with verse 11. And now I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. His, and he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, uh, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh are written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the glory of Christ revealed to all mankind. This is the glory of Christ revealed to us. We do pay attention to that which is like a light shining in the darkness. Amen. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank You for the life and work of Jesus Christ. We thank You, O God, for the Mount of Transfiguration and the testimony of the Law and the Prophets of Moses and Elijah coming together with the, the revelation of Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of all that was there. We thank You, Heavenly Father, for the glory of His divinity revealed. We thank You for the light that shone in that moment, testified and witnessed by Peter. We thank You, O Heavenly Father, that that confirms to us a prophetic word. And that now we have Your Word as that light that shines in a dark place. And so help us, O God, to pay attention. Help us to heed. Help us to rejoice in Your Word as it reveals to us all that is glory in Christ. All that is glory in You. All that has come to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond together. Number 147B. 147B. And we'll sing together verses 1, 4, and 6. 1, 4, and 6.